170 kids waiting in Northern Ireland at the moment to be taken in uh, long term or adopted. And so we thought about who, who else would we get to, to, to pray for us this morning? Who else would we get to lead us in prayer this morning but, but Bridget? And, uh, and so Bridget, come on ahead and we will lead us in prayer. I just, I don't want to embarrass Bridget and Jimmy and Siobhan, but I just think this family, they're an incredible family. And, uh, and so Bridget's going to lead us in prayer. There's going to be parts that we respond to. And I'm going to stand with Bridget to make sure that we, we do that right. Uh, it's going to come up on the screen. We're going to follow it along. Uh, and at the right moment, I will tell you when it is our turn to respond. So, so let's pray. Thank you, Bridget. Father God, we thank you for adopting us into your family as dearly loved children. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. God our Father, even when we were still sinners, great, ungrateful and undeserving, you opened your arms of love and invited us into relationship with you. Even while we can be disobedient and selfish, you cover us with grace and call us to your children. Even though we have nothing to offer besides our hearts, you call us to purpose and want us to use us to make a difference in this world. Thank you, Father God, for adopting us into your family. Here we go. Affirm us, God our Father, as part of your great story. We thank you for the privilege we have to serve you and to be your hands and feet in this world. We pray specifically for those who open their homes, their lives, their hearts to vulnerable children, foster carers, adoptive parents, kinship carers, social workers, teachers, therapists, and other professionals. Lord God, would you strengthen, encourage, and uphold each one. As a church, <clears throat> would you... Would you use us to support families who foster or adopt and help us to be a place of welcome and acceptance? We pray now for the families in this church and those who are known to us. Show us how we can be a part of their story and stand with them. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds in itself up in love, and each part does its work. Let's go. Equip us, Lord God, to be part of their stories. Lord Jesus, we pray for every child whose story is painful. Lord Jesus, you are needed in every situation, in every circumstance, in every story, and we bring before you each child who has suffered. There where there has been neglect, would you bring restoration and pour out your grace? Where there has been abuse, would you bring healing and pour out your love? Where there is loss and grief, would you bring wholeness and pour out your peace? Where there is anger and hurt, would you bring comfort and pour out your hope? Where there is confusion and the future is unsure, 
Would you bring understanding and call your people to respond? We love because he first loved us. Here we go. Encourage us, Lord Jesus, to pray and to respond, to be part of making their story better in whatever way we can. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. This is the last line. Inspire us to be part of the story. Thank you, Bridget. Father, we thank you for Bridget and Jimmy and Siobhan. And uh, we pray you'll be with them today. We pray, Lord Jesus, for Emma and for Jimmy Lee. Uh, we pray for Shane and, and Danielle and me of others, Lord, who have come and been part of our lives for a time. You've allowed us to be part of their stories for whatever length of time that's been. And so, Holy Spirit, would you... Will you just burden us again today for, for kids who are lonely, kids who have been rejected, kids who have been hurt. And for those that, that stand with them, we bless them. And you help us to know how to respond. As we open your word today, would you speak into our hearts? Would you do something among us, Lord, that would, that would, uh, that would just please you? Do something among us, Lord, that would, uh, Lord, it would change our lives. It would do something that would... Remind us of who we are today. So, Spirit, we give of ourselves to you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Bridget, for leading us in prayer. Um, For those that haven't been here, and for those that have, we, you know that we've been going through a, a series, Hardness, Hardness and Fruitfulness. Trying to expose those areas of hardness in our hearts for the sake of fruitfulness. Not for the sake of making you feel bad, not for the sake of pouring on guilt and shame, but for the sake of, of how can we get, sort these areas in our lives out so that we can be as fruitful as he intended us to be. Um, and it's not that we're going completely off off that this morning. I, w- I want us to talk a bit about who we are, but it's still, I still want us to consider the condition of our hearts. I still want us to consider the, the, the state of the ground uh, within, our, within our lives. A, a couple of weeks ago, I had the, I had the chance to to go to uh, to go to a church in Bambridge and be with other people passionate about adoption and fostering, the chance to be with other church leaders and just share a wee bit around the theology of adoption. It's the fourth event that we have done alongside Home for Good, and uh, and I've managed to get the ten minute slot for some reason. They mustn't be able to find anybody else. But I get this 10-minute slot, and I've been able to do it in Bangor, been able to do it in Lurgan, been able to do it in Belfast, and then last week we were able to do it in, in Bambridge. We hear stories from people who have fostered and adopted. 
We heard, we heard last week, a couple of weeks ago, from uh, a lady who's part of the trust, and she just shared the, the real life uh, need right now within our own local area. And so I was able again just to share, to share a wee bit on what the Bible has to say around adoption and fostering and taking care of the widow and the orphan. I just again reminded I find myself every time, no matter what it is, I just, I'm just going to Jesus. I'm going there first. I'm going to see what Jesus has to say because what I've come to see is, what I've come to realize and be reminded of is that Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus came to reveal who he was. Jesus came to reveal the nature of Father God. And so we, as we go through the whole of Scripture, for me, and it's maybe because I'm biased, but I see every time I go through the story, I think the places where God speaks the loudest is whenever it comes to how we respond to the needs of the vulnerable, the rejected, the isolated. The place I think we get the greatest glimpse of his heart being on display is when it comes to how we treat the alien, the stranger, the orphan, the widow. His heart is on display. He speaks the loudest. And here we have Jesus who comes to reveal what the Father is like. And again, we see in Jesus as we go through the Gospels, for me there seems to be no place where Jesus seems more comfortable than with those that others have, have isolated. He seems to be more comfortable with people that others have said were not worth it. They're not worth they're not worth a first chance, never mind a second chance. They, they weren't deemed worthy, but Jesus seemed to come to life. Jesus seemed to be in his element. Jesus seemed to be most comfortable when he was around those that everyone had rejected and those that most people didn't think were worth it. This is who Jesus came to reveal. This is the sort of father that Jesus came to reveal. One who would stand with the broken one that would wrap around the isolated, one that would cheer on those that everybody else has left to the side. This is the type of father that Jesus reveals. Jesus reveals, Jesus is the one who tells us that his father is father to the fatherless. And as we follow the story of Jesus, as we follow the life of Jesus, you will see that Jesus is the one who's, who calls, who insists on calling the least of these his brothers. Matthew 25, he insists on calling the least of these his brothers. You know what else Jesus reveals? Jesus actually says that, that he is the one who says that the next time that you hear his voice, he will ask you, did you do the same? The next time you hear his voice, he will ask, did you do the same? This is the sort of father, this is the sort of kingdom that Jesus came to reveal. And I cannot get away. I've said this many times. Many times I've said I, I, I every so often cannot but get sucked into the words of Jesus as he's closing out his ministry uh, in the Gospel of John and John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Just the most incredible things that Jesus is saying here. In the midst of that, he's saying, as the Father has sent me, 
the Father sent me is what Jesus, Jesus says these words to the disciples and he says them again to us. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And the Father sent Jesus. I think we could get into a debate about this, but I think the, the primary reason why Jesus came was to reveal the Father, to reveal exactly who he was, which made its, which made its climax at the cross. But ultimately, it would be wrapped up that Jesus came to reveal who the Father was. It's why he was sent. And Jesus says these words to all of us this morning. As the Father sent me, that same, with that same mandate, with that same mission, that's how I'm sending you. You reveal who I am. You reveal the nature of who I am to the most hurt, to the most rejected, to the most isolated. Hear those words this morning, church. As the Father sent Jesus... It comes from his lips this morning. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And it is incredible. And as we think of this subject this morning around adoption and fostering, we've also been talking about mental health, and we're doing that again on Wednesday night. You see, all the stuff was brought to the food bank on Thursday morning. See, where it feels like, although there's a lot of stuff going on in our world that breaks our heart and leaves us confused and upset and angry. The truth is it feels like today we have an incredible opportunity. It feels like there's never been a better opportunity for the church to be the good news in society. There's never felt like a greater opportunity for the church to to bring change to communities, for church to transform the lives of, of the most vulnerable. On a Wednesday night, we... Uh, Wednesday night we gathered in a, in a semicircle here and we were praying for the needs around the world. We prayed into issues of poverty and, and human trafficking and depression and, and the unreached. We, we prayed for Aleppo and Mosul and Calais. We prayed for these things and there was a sense in the room, if those that were here don't mind me saying, it felt like for a lot of us it was just overwhelming. It felt really overwhelming, some of, the, some of the needs, the vast needs that are across our world. In the midst of that, we were able to, we were able to worship, and we've already sang some of that, I think, this, this morning, that celebrating that he's alive. And, and we sang something around that, that, same, that same sort of theme on, on, on Wednesday night, celebrating that Jesus is alive. Again, it's something that as we do that, as we sing, as we celebrate, as, as, as David leads us in that song that we are, yes, Jesus, you're alive. And we celebrate that. That is incredible news that Jesus is alive, that he's still alive, that he's still on the throne. And, and uh, it's incredible that we get to sing that. But as we, as we gathered around and part of us overwhelmed, part of us just crying out, part of us hoping that the Spirit would be able to understand the groanings of our heart. But there's a moment as we worshipped that I felt that as we were celebrating, yes, Jesus, you're alive, that he was saying the same thing back to us on Wednesday night. And I think that he is saying the same thing again this morning. As we have celebrated this morning, Jesus, you're alive. We celebrate because you've risen. We celebrate because you're alive and you're well. That he would say the same back to his church. He would say the same back to those that he has sent. He is saying, yes, you're alive. I went around the room and I said it over everybody. I'm not going to do that this morning. 
But he says it over every one of you this morning. He says, yes, you're alive. You have celebrated that he's alive. And I think that the father sent back over his kids today. Yes, you're alive. John 14, verse 19 says, because, again, the words of Jesus, because I live, you live also. So it's not just a matter of, yes, Jesus, you're alive. But he's saying, that's not at all. Because I live, it means you're alive too. Because I live, you are alive. And so while there is breath in your lungs, I'm talking to you, individual. While there is breath in your lungs, there is hope for the world. I don't want this just to be like a sound bite. This needs to, you need to grab this. While there is breath in your lungs, there is hope for these kids that we have talked about this morning. Church, while there's breath in your lungs, there is hope for the nations. There's breath in your lungs, there's hope for your communities. While there is breath in your lungs, there's hope for your families. And I think that, as I've thought about this, I think that why Jesus says, yes, you're alive, is because it means he still has agents of reconciliation on earth. Sounds all a bit Marvel comic-y, but you are. The Bible, this is words of the Bible. You are agents of reconciliation. And because he still has agents of reconciliation on earth, he says, yes, they're still alive. Because he sees that there are still ambassadors of hope on the earth, he says, yes, you're alive. He's called us. Matthew 5, he said that you're the light of the world, that you are the salt of the earth. And it's why he celebrates that you're alive. It's why he's glad that he is still his kids, he still has his children on earth. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And why there's temples of the Holy Spirit that still have breath in their lungs, there's hope for the world. And the thing that excites me, and I think the thing that, that, would, that would cause... Father, Son, and Spirit to rejoice is that he still has family representation on earth. He still has family representation on earth. And so the family name keeps going. Because you're alive, individual, each one of you. wish I could point to you as all. Family, the family name keeps going because you're alive. Because of what he says about you is true. Because of who he says that you are, the family name keeps alive. The family business is still in operation. The, the, the kingdom business that Jesus came to do is still in operation because you're alive. Because of who you are. We are sons and we're daughters. I can't but read Romans 8. Let's read that if you are, have your Bibles. Um, or if you don't, if you can in some way. If you have those bookmarkers, put up the bookmarker in Romans 8. If you're comfortable highlighting it, putting pen over it. You need to put pen. If you have a new Bible that you've never put pen over, let this be the first verse that you've put pen over in your Bible. Romans 8 verse 15. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And it's by him that we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, 
then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and we are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Your sons. We get to call creator of the heavens and earth, Abba. We get to call him our father. And that seems, that seems pretty good, but actually Paul goes on to say that now that you're God's children, you are, you are heirs of God, you are co-heirs with Christ. Uh, at the minute I'm reading through, just on my, own, on my own study, I'm reading through Hosea, mainly Hosea, and, and, but I'm also reading through Second Kings. And... Uh, my goodness, the children of Israel, you're like, you get into your time, your times you get invested in the story and you're like, what on earth, children of Israel, were you doing? God's people, what on earth were you doing? And as I probably said before, we, we can be too like, we can be too like Israel. We can be too like God's people that we read about so frustratingly at times in the Old Testament, and but actually we are too like them. Their problem was is that they forgot their identity. Their problem was they forgot who they are, and so they started they, instead of living as adopted sons and daughters, they they lived as vulnerable orphans, relying, depending on other gods, on other stuff, on man-made things. And you know we can be too like the children of Israel, we can, we can forget who we are. We can forget that, that he has called us, invited us to live as adopted children, but we still we continue to live as vulnerable orphans, worshiping something else, trying to get the approval of something else, worshiping, giving ourselves, relying on other gods. See, I, th- I don't know whether it's a cultural thing or I don't know whether it affects each one of the nations that are here represented, but we are so comfortable believing this language. We've read Romans 8.15. What I'm wanting you to hear is that you're a son, that you're a daughter. What I'm wanting you to hear is that you're a co-heir with Christ. And, and I'm wanting to make that really personal for you. Only I've been taught it's rude to point. I want to point to every one of you and say that it's for you. But we, become, we are so comfortable believing this for the person sitting beside us. We're so comfortable believing, yes, you are, as we pray over them and as we think about them, yes, you're a son and you're a daughter, and we pray that over them. We pray our, pray our best prayers over our neighbors, reminding them of who they are, calling out of them who God has said and called them to be. We, be, we can be comfortable believing all of that for other people, but we struggle. We really do. We struggle to believe it for ourselves. Struggle to believe that this is about me. He is saying this about me. I'd love it this, today. Forget everything else. Go home, and if you would just remind yourselves, find a quiet place. 
find a quiet part of the day and just read over some of these verses, think over some of these thoughts and say, this is about me. Jesus is talking about me. Father, he is saying this over me. See, we are, we are, are so, we have become so much more comfortable thinking of ourselves as undeserving. It's really easy for us. We have no struggle with that, of thinking ourselves as undeserving. We have no struggle singing, and I love Amazing Grace, we've no, but when we have no struggle singing, I'm a wretch. I'm a horrible, stinking wretch. That's me. I'm so undeserving. I'm such a sinner. And you, oh, I'm not saying that none of that's not true. I'm not. How dare I? It would be borderline blasphemy to criticize Amazing Grace. But them songs are incredible. Those words, nothing of that is necessarily untrue. But that's the narrative that we live out of all the time. We can't be so comfortable with that and so uncomfortable to accept that what Jesus himself said about us is true. And this is maybe pushing it a wee bit. But based on what the Father says, based on what we read of in the Word, you are co-heirs. This is what you have been given as an inheritance. This is rightfully yours. And I almost struggle saying that because I get so frustrated with the world that we live in. It's such an entitlement-driven culture. Demanding our rights, demanding what we're entitled to. And that's why I wrestled with this a wee bit. Still almost wrestling with it. This is rightfully yours. Am I all right saying that? It's rightfully yours. It's your inheritance. He said that you're a co-heir with Christ. It's been given to you. It's rightfully yours. We get to we get to withdraw from heaven's resources. It's why Jesus taught us to pray, Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come to earth. Let heaven come to earth. Let the, what's going on in heaven be done here on earth. He's invited us to pray that. He's saying that withdrawing from heaven's resources is rightfully yours. It's just like the most, it's like the most surreal, I need to be careful, it's like the most surreal ATM. Like I go to the ATM and I pull out, I can only take out what belongs to me. And Jesus, is, Jesus, as we go through all of these things in Scripture, reminding us who we are, who he says that we are, we, we take that. We can take that because it's, it's rightfully ours. We can take it because it belongs to us. I sometimes fear, I sometimes fear that, I would, that I would so ignore who I am that I'd be so comfortable believing the wretched and the sinner and the undeserving that it would completely dishonor who he says that I am. It would completely discredit the price that he has paid so that I would be all that he intended me to be. Neville spoke, uh, Neville spoke last week. And he was really good. But he did divide us. It was slightly divisive. He divided us down the middle. Because when he started to mention the dock leaf, 
We had half of you saying, yes, that works to, to cure nettles things. And the other half were saying, no, it doesn't. It's a myth. It's a lie. He divided us down the middle. Neville was panicking there, thinking I was going to say something else. He talked about the dock leaf. He talked about the busy soil. And it would be embarrassing for me to even stand here and try to talk like a farmer or think like a farmer. But what I did realize is that busy soil is really, is really not good. Sure, it's not Neville. Busy soil, uh, again, I'm, Neville's went by experience. I've went by Google. With busy soil, it's detrimental for all crops. It's detrimental for all crops, and it is, and it will, busy soil will mean that the ground will not reach its full potential. It'll never re- reach its potential yield or its potential quality. Yeah? He winked at me. It's, we're good. Um, but this busy, this busy soil, that, 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 I've been sort of challenged by that, wrestling with that. Because that's what so, so often how we live. We become busy doing, thinking that it's going to earn Father's approval. And in some ways, this is like this is so real for me because I f- I felt like so much in my Christian experience it was like all about how God, how can I get to the place where I'm reading four chapters a night? How can I get to the place where it's twenty minutes that I'm praying a list of prayers before you? How can I get to that place where everything everything that I think is right and everything that thing that I say is good and. And living out of that place of trying to earn Father's approval. Of thinking that I could perform my way into his favor. That I could perform my way into him giving me some of these incredible gifts that I read about. And some of the incredible gifts that I see other people operating in them. At what point would it be, Father, that you'll give me those things that other people have? How much more do I need to do? How much more do I need to achieve? How much more approval do I need to gain from you before any of that? And I'm just so grateful that a couple of years ago I came across the words of Jesus that he came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal his nature. He came to reveal who he really was. And actually, 2 Corinthians 5 says that, that he became sin, who knew no sin, that we would become the righteousness of God. And so, and so now as God looks at me, he looks at me through the lens of Jesus. He looks at me and sees Jesus. He looks at me and sees dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, stand before his throne. See, I can't read verses like that and then just constantly live out of the narrative of being undeserving, wretched sinner. I want to live out of that narrative of, Father, you approve me. You love me. You're cheering me on. You want me to live like Jesus lived. You want me to go where he went. You want me to be his hands and his feet to the, to the least, the lost, the last. And we need to hear the file. I love the order. I love the order of, of, of before Jesus did anything that the father came and said, this is my boy, this is my son. 
I'm so proud of him. I love him. And it's him. It's in him I am so pleased. See, he's already, Jesus has already been, he's already been approved, accepted, acknowledged before he did anything. It's the same for you. It's the same for each one of you. I'm going to point to you all again. It's the same for you before you did anything. It was, upon your, it was upon you saying yes to Jesus that you were approved, you were accepted, you were acknowledged. And it's his heart, I believe, I believe with all my heart, that he is longing that we would obey out of this love relationship like Jesus did. Not out of a desire to win Father's approval by performing well. And this is maybe the language you've heard me use here many times and I make no apologies for it. Because we all still get caught in the cycle of desiring to win his love by performing well. And we become trapped. And the condition of our heart, the soil becomes busy. Because do we put this expectation on ourselves to keep doing, to keep going, keep performing, and we're the ground of our hearts can't take it, never reach its potential yield. It'll never reach this 30, 60, 100 that we've been talking about. It's detrimental for anything else that wants to come in and bear fruit. See, we put this expectation on ourselves and then, do you know what we do? We put it on other people too. And it just becomes too heavy. It becomes too heavy a load to burden. Father is not ashamed to be known as your father. He is not ashamed to own you as his child. And so for some, whoever it is that's that's wrestling with the butt. Already now, there's something rises within us that, but I said this on the way to church this morning. I was coming to worship this morning and I thought this on the way to church and he's not ashamed. He is not ashamed to be known as your father. He is not ashamed to own you as his child. And if you think it's, if you think he says that over you based on how you've performed this weekend or what you've done on your way to church, I'm telling you, you will be trapped. You will be, your, your ground, the condition of your heart will be this busy soil because you will never do enough. You will never do enough. There will never be a point that you get to that you'll have done enough to earn his approval. There is no marker. You will be in constant frustration. It'll be a constant burden that you will never be able to carry. We can't, I love it. It's great that David has highlighted the cross because it's on the cross. It was on the cross, and again, for you, and I've said for me, it was on the cross it was on the cross that I was publicly loved. I was publicly valued. I was publicly owned. And God forgive me if I ever 
take away from what he did for me on the cross. By living in a place of shame and guilt. By living in a place of unworthiness. By living in a place of having to earn his approval. God forgive me if I end up in that place constantly. Because it was there that he said, I love you. I value you. Your life is of worth to me. Like, it's so outrageous. D.A. Carson, I think, wrote this book, Scandalous Grace. It is. It is, it is outrageous. But you know what? It's an outrageous affirmation. It's an outrageous affirmation for you. He outrageously affirms you this morning. You're fully known. Some of you, that causes a bit of a panic. But listen, you're fully known, but you're fully accepted. You have nothing to prove. You have no approval to win. And it's looking at Jesus. It's in seeing Jesus that we see how the kingdom works. And it's beginning to think differently. It's beginning to understand who you are that, that, that's going to change everything, that shifts everything. That's why I pray that. It's not just a trite prayer. God, this, something could happen this morning that we could change our lives. Because whenever you know that you, that you are loved, I'm telling you, it'll become automatic. You'll find yourself loving other people. When you know, when you know that you're loved. Not when you can quote John 3.16. And, have an under, and, and know what the Bible says, but when you know that you are loved, you find yourselves loving others. When you know that you are forgiven, it's crazy, you will find yourselves forgiving other people. And when you know, when you find yourself accepted, you will find yourself accepting other people. That's what's going to happen. That's why this is really huge. This is really a big deal. Because there's people that need to know that the Father loves them. There's people that need to know that forgiveness is available. There's people that need to know that acceptance is available. And whenever you know that you're all three of those things, it begins to happen. And people begin to get an experience of Jesus. They get an experience of who the Father is. It's just the outrageous life that he, that he is inviting us into. And, it, and I shouldn't say all he's asking. Sometimes that can be really difficult. But he's offering us this. He's inviting us in on this. And all he says is daily, say yes to Jesus. For each one of us, no matter where we are in the journey, it's just saying yes to Jesus. I'm going to finish with this. The guys are going to come up. I read, uh, I read Hosea chapter 11 yesterday. For those that are reading, doing the plan, you'll have read Hosea chapter 11. 
absolutely blew me away, shattered me, the love that the Father had on the most, the most offensive behavior that you could possibly read about at the stage that Israel were at. In just those few verses, we see the Father's tender heart. We see the Father's broken heart. We see the Father's merciful heart. And we see the Father's missional heart. But this is, this is language from John Owen in his book, Communion with God. And i finish with this. Many saints have no greater burden in their lives than that their hearts do not constantly delight and rejoice in God. There is still in them a resistance to walking close with God. The more we see of God's love, so much more shall we delight in him. All that we learn of God will only frighten us away from him if we do not see him as loving and merciful to us. But if your heart is taken up with the Father's love as the chief property of his nature, it cannot help but choose to be overpowered, conquered, and embraced by him. This, if anything, will arouse our desire to make our eternal home with God. If the love of a father will not make a child delight in him, what will? So do this. Set your hearts on the eternal love of the Father. See if your heart is not aroused to delight in him. Sit down for a while at this delightful spring of living water, and you will soon find its streams sweet and delightful. You, who used to run from God, will not now be able, even for a second, to keep at any distance from him.